welcome back to the Insightful Thinkers Podcast. Humans have been experimenting with organisms since the agricultural revolution. Now, for the first time ever, we have created biological machines. These organisms, known as xenobots, are a brand new life form. The world's first programmable living organisms. That's what we're talking about today, xenobots. Yes, you heard it right, the world's first programmable living organisms. We're going to talk about what this is and how that even makes sense. Um, Sources for this episode, uh, the original paper uh, with the researchers who discovered xenobots was Kriegman, Levin, and Bongard 2020, a scalable pipeline for designing reconfigurable organisms, and Coughlin and Lines 2020, Living Robots, Ethical Questions About Xenobots. You notice that these articles are 2020 articles. So this is this is a new finding, these xenobots. So what are these what are these things? So they they may sound a bit Frankenstein-ish. Well, they are programmable living organisms. How is it even how can an organism be programmable? Well, it's because these living organisms perform the tasks that they're programmed by a computer to do. Some of these organisms are tailored to show maximum movement on a surface. Some are programmed to scoot along the bottom of a petri dish, like a like some microscopic inchworms. Others are built to transport bits of particulate matter, um, and they can herd cargo, almost like mini sheepdogs. Others still can carry things in pouches carved into their custom-made bodies. They can also work together in this task to aggregate debris and place it in a pile. They can even heal themselves after being cut by zippering themselves back together. So this sounds really weird. In reality, those xenobots, they're nothing like Frankenstein. They have no nerve cells. They have no brains. And they're not even a millimeter wide. Um, But they are pretty cool. And we're (laughs) going to talk about kind of how they're cool and what significance they may have. um, And how they're created, too. We say they're programmable. how were they programmed? And, and we'll get into all this. So they're named xenobots because they're made from the African clawed frog called Xenopus lavis. Coincidentally, the literal trans- translation of, of uh, xenobots based on the root xeno is weird alien-like robots. So it's a funny coincidence that uh, that is that is what the... Uh, that's what these, these xenobots are called, even though <clears throat> it was actually called that because of the, the Xeno, Xenopus lavis that they're named after. But how are these organisms created? So as I kind of touched on it, it starts with an algorithm. So this algorithm, it's primed with the relevant uh, bio, biophysical principles that it's going to need to to run. So that's what that's the input. And this is called an evolutionary uh, algorithm. That's the input that goes into this. And then it spits out uh, a, a millions of cellular configurations that would produce a desired function. So it basically scans all the possible ways it could build an organism that does a certain thing with, with biological materials. And it spits out all these configurations. The researchers are essentially asking a computer algorithm to design these living machines with a few hundred skin or heart cells from a frog as the ingredients. And the algorithm is instructed to optimize each xenobot for a different basic function, like moving back and forth or manipulating objects or doing any of the other aforementioned functions. So 
it it has kind of it knows kind of what it can use it, it knows it can use a few hundred frog uh, skin or, or heart stem cells and how is it going to build something that does a certain function and the algorithm can actually do this so for example for the purpose of moving in a certain direction over a flat surface the algorithm would spit out the optimal configuration for doing this so it would spit out a two-legged xenobot with cells on its lower half so it can walk across the surface so it the algorithm knows the function it needs to create and it knows what it has to work with and then it, it spits out all these configurations how do the researchers decide between all these millions of configurations they don't really decide the algorithm itself it initially spits out millions of different configurations at first but only the best advance to the next stage until the very best configuration is developed by the algorithm so overall the scientists tell the algorithm what they want the xenobot to do but they don't tell the algorithm how the how the xenobot should do this it doesn't tell the algorithm oh it's going to need some extra cells on the bottom so it can move across the surface it just tells the algorithm we need it to move across the surface in a straight line here's the information you get create something in this way the algorithm can explore this infinite space of matching form to function they let the computer match form to the specific functions of the xenobot they don't decide it themselves this is why it's like a it's a computer programmed organism the computer designed these things the algorithm can design it but they still the researchers still need to intercede to actually create these xenobots so after the algorithm gives the digital blueprint for the organism the researchers recreate these designs out of actual cells from frog embryos the researchers gather the frog stem cells stem cells are cells that are unspecialized and can develop into many different cell types they gather up these frog stem cells and then they join them into as close an approximation as possible of the design specified by the algorithm they're, they're doing this under a microscope with very tiny forceps and a very small electrode and they build what the algorithm told them to build the researchers use the frog and, and heart stem cells why did they do this well the heart cells contract to power the organism like little motors and the skin cells provide a nice support system for this this little organism the result is a living cluster of cells with the ability to do things they were programmed to do. So this is how the computer algorithm designed these living machines. It's a biological organism, but it's created by a computer and the, it's programmed too to do certain things. And, and it, it does the function that the algorithm uh, made it do. So this is how it's a programmable living organism. What's the significance of this? Um, well, let's look no further than the words of of Michael Levin he's one of the uh one of the creators of these xenobots on the original paper that I cited at the start of the episode he says the fundamental finding here is that when you liberate cells from their normal context and you give them a chance to reimagine their multicellularity they can build other things than what they would normally build and he goes on he says to me one of the most exciting things here is plasticity the idea that normal cells with a normal frog genome are in fact capable of building something completely different. This is incredibly interesting and this is really one of the things this research has brought to light. Because in a frog embryo, cells will always cooperate to create a tadpole. That's just the way they're genetically designed. But with these xenobots, it's the same cells 
But now that they're no longer in the context of the embryo, they can repurpose their genetically encoded hardware for new functions like movement and carrying things and, and stacking debris. And they can do all these these other things. It shows a great plasticity of these cells to be able to do these. This is why stem cells are on the forefront of, of uh, so many in, in so many clinical applications and cancer and, and all sorts of things because they, this plasticity of these cells when they're in a different setting than the frog embryo, now they can merge together and they can walk across a petri dish and pick things up and do all sorts of things. So take the, take the, 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 the let me actually continue here with, with kind of the significance from, from Levin. It, it, the fact that cells can take on new roles and create new body plans and behaviors without long periods of evolutionary selection for those features is really one of the amazing things here. You can take the cilia, for instance. Normally, these cilia are used to spread mucus along the frog's skin, but when divorced from their normal context, they now allow the xenobot to move around by acting like tiny paddles. So this is the plasticity of behavior, if you can even call it behavior, behavior in its kind of in its simplest sense. But usually these cilia move the mucus around, but now they allow they move the organism around, the xenobot around. So this is the plasticity of function that uh, this research is kind of showing. What are the applications too, if we kind of take it one step further and think of the future uses of this technology? It's kind of interesting to call a living thing a, a technology, but that's where we're at in 2021 now. Xenobots could be made from a human's, human patient's own cells, and this would bypass the immune response challenges of other kinds of micro-robotic delivery systems. Xenobots like these could potentially be used to scrape plaque from arteries, and with additional cell types and with a little bit more bioengineering, they could destroy cancers themselves. The xenobots can survive in aqueous environments without additional nutrients for days or weeks, and this makes them very suitable for this type of internal drug delivery. These xenobots, if they're made from a patient's own cells, when they go into the body, the immune system isn't going uh, isn't gonna to respond to try to fight off these foreign foreign xenobots because they're they're made from the patient's own cells so this will allow them to get in there and, and possibly even in the future get deliver drugs directly deliver chemotherapy drugs directly to the cancerous cells and do all sorts of these things there's a, there's a real potential for these released into the environment now we this is we talked about the human body what about released into the environment well what they could do is they could remove dangerous toxins from the environment or they could even sweep microplastics out of oceans. Because swarms of xenobots tend to or are, are able to work together to stack pellets into little piles like we talked about, future xenobots might be able to do the same thing with microplastics in the ocean. They might be able to find and aggregate tiny bits of plastic into a large ball of plastic that would then allow a traditional boat or a drone to, to gather them and bring these balls of plastic into a recycling center. The other good thing about these xenobots, they're, not, they're unlike traditional technologies because they don't add additional pollution because they're biodegradable. They behave using energy and fat, uh, energy from fat and protein naturally stored in their tissue. And this, as we talked about, lasts about a week. They, they don't survive for too long. They're nothing like a human, nothing like a Frankenstein. They go away after about a week. But after this week, if, if they're doing their work in the ocean, cleaning up microplastics, 
then they just die off and then they just turn into dead skin cells. <laughs> so that's, they're completely biodegradable, which is a great potential for this technology. They're not damaging to the environment at all. The next step would be, we, we talked about how the researchers have to intercede and, and create the xenobots themselves. And it takes hours in the lab with this tiny, these tiny forceps trying to create what the algorithm told them to create. Next step would be to use a 3D bioprinter, which does exist already, still very rudimentary technology, but you could use a 3D bioprinter to spit out these organisms directly. The robots could be produced in the thousands this way. Someday, also, if scientists can learn to guide the natural regenerative ability of these xenobots, we talked about how they, they zip themselves back up together after they're cut, we might be able to achieve things that our cells don't seem to be able to do on their own, such as regeneration of limbs even. If we can somehow harness this technology, we can improve, we can, we, I don't want to say we can become superheroes, but we can enhance uh, our functions, improve our functions, uh, or create new functions that we don't even have as humans that uh, other organisms do have. There are so many ifs here, though. I mean, this, it seems a bit quixotic right now, a little bit idealistic, because it's we're only at the first stage of xenobots. They were only just created. I mean, there's still a long way to go before these types of advances could could come into play. It's hard to understand how much progress will be made with these xenobots. It's maybe even harder to know that the progress on these xenobots will necessarily follow what's suggested currently. The researchers can talk all they want about the future uses and the significance, but it's it's hard to say if if the progression of these xenobots is even going to follow this positive trend. It could be the case that these things go in a totally different direction. And that brings us to the ethical concerns of these xenobots. Um, Potential risks include the potential use as a bioweapon in warfare or use in assassinations via the carriage and delivery of harmful agents. So you could use it just like using it for good with, with delivering uh, cancer medication to the cancerous cells. It could be uh, used for malevolent means if, if they're used to go into a, a human and, 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 use the, and use some kind of biological mechanisms to break down that, the host that the xenobot is now in. Accidental or deliberate release of long-lived or reproductively equipped versions of these xenobots might also be environmentally damaging. So if these xenobots, if we create these xenobots to be able to reproduce eventually, if, if they get released now, now that's like a whole new species out in the world, that could disrupt ecosystems here. Xenobots could seriously interfere with the life cycles of natural organisms on the sea and on land if, if they're able to reproduce. But even this possibility, though, is far-fetched right now because xenobots are, are, are not long-living right now and they're not reproductively capable. Right now, they only live for a week or two and then they completely go away. We still have full control of these organisms at the moment, but this is more of a future concern in case... Uh, uh, and talking about how we might possibly lose control of these xenobots. Some people also may claim that creating xenobots involves playing God. This has started, this uh, idea of playing God has started to become more common, especially with the advances in uh, 
genetic engineering. We talked about CRISPR. We're talking about this now. People think that some of these advances in, in, in genetic engineering and artificial intelligence um, are a bit spooky. And, and, that, and detractors argue that playing God represents or promotes a disrespect for life. When you're creating life, you're creating programmable organisms. This constitutes a disrespect for life, people say. This type of criticism has, of course, been challenged. I mean, though things do get a little bit spooky, as we perhaps do begin to play God, like in, in some of the gene editing advances and advances in AI, the practical implications of modulating biology currently are very limited. Now, that's not to say this, this may change, um, but currently it, it's it, things like Xenobots and, and CRISPR, these types of things and technologies may sound scarier than they really are at the moment. Only time will tell if playing God in some of these domains will end up burning us. It's far from clear whether we should treat xenobots as machines, living creatures, or a mix of both. It could be the case that we can't classify them as any of these things. They may be something else entirely. Thank you to, for listening to this episode, everybody. Uh, xenobots, we, we, finished our, our <laughs> we finished our revolutions in April. Now we're back to diverse set of topics. Uh, we're bouncing back with a, a biology or technology. <laughs> Who knows where I can categorize this one because it is a mix of both or, or maybe neither. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If you liked it, just share it with someone you know who, who might like it too. Or do, do the digital things to boost the podcast and the discovery algorithms. We'll be back on Monday as always. In-depth analysis, diverse set of topics. Take care, everybody. This podcast is a production of Insightful Thinkers Media.